Welcome to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast, sharing a rundown of tips and strategies to live healthier and happier in a fun way. Now, here's your host, Monica Olivas. Today, I'm talking to Paul Huddle, author, triathlete, radio host, and currently he's the senior regional director with Rock and Roll Marathon Series and Ironman, which includes the big West Coast rock and roll races, Arizona, San Diego, and Las Vegas. And San Diego is actually this weekend. So we're getting a peek into what it's like behind the scenes on race week. And he shares a secret discount code you can actually use at the expo. I had no idea he was going to do that. So you could tell I'm just kind of quietly surprised and typing out the code quickly when he mentions it so that I can put it in the show notes. It will be there if you want to run San Diego this weekend. It's actually a super awesome discount code. In case you're new here, I'm Monica. I started runeatrepeat.com as a training and diet log before my first marathon. All I wanted to do was lose 20 pounds, run one full marathon. Well, I lost the weight and I ended up running over 30 full marathons and 50 half marathons. And the site turned into an amazing community online. Thank you so much for listening. You can check out more on runeatrepeat.com and follow me on Instagram at runeatrepeat. Now let's start with the warm up. So I have been listening to a ton of audiobooks lately, going through them like they are watermelon. And it's almost a problem, actually, because I use Audible to listen to books and my subscription is one book a month. And I've been going through more than one book a month. So I have been very lucky, though. I'm not complaining because it's been super entertaining. And I love when there's a book that you just you want to keep listening to. You want to get your next chance to listen to more, finish the book, know what happens next. It's been great. And since I've been going through a lot of books, I've been screenshotting what I'm listening to. And oftentimes I'll share it in my Instagram stories. And I think that when I'm mentioning something, it's calling attention to it and could potentially be seen as a recommendation, which is not always the case. Sometimes it's a new book to me, so I'm just starting to listen to it, or I am, you know, a quarter of the way through, I'm halfway through, and I haven't really decided my thoughts on it. So I wanted to kind of expand a little bit. Also give the disclaimer slash reminder that I am just your virtual running buddy. I am just some redheaded Mexican from Pico. We might not like all of the same things. So just because I am obsessed with something or do not like something doesn't mean that would be the case for you. This is art, right? And so we can all have our own opinions on it. And I just want to say that because maybe someone else really liked this book, especially this first book I'm going to talk about came recommended by someone that I am a huge fan of. So let's get to it. The first book is Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married by Abby Allen. And the author was on the Happier podcast with Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen Rubin interviewed her. They are friends in real life and go back a long way. I think they're in a writing group together. They have known each other for a really long time, and they're both writers. And she interviewed her about the book, about the writing process, and just like really raved about it. I was expecting something similar to Dirty John. If you think about the title, it's 
double lives, false identities, the con man I almost married. It seems like her story, her situation was similar to Dirty John. If you're not familiar, that was another, that was actually a podcast series where this guy kind of has this pattern of lying, scanning, scamming, conning women. And that was, I thought, very interesting because it was like the story that they walked you through. I thought this was going to be similar. I think that the story had similarities, but the style of the book wasn't similar. It wasn't exclusively her story. She basically was telling her story, but her situation, the fact that she was in a relationship with someone that turned out to be basically a liar. Um, And there were, it wasn't all lies. Like he wasn't completely making up the fact that he had this certain field of work or had, you know, an ex-wife, but there were a lot of lies in there. And I think her story is interesting in the way that the Dirty John is like, it sucks, but it is like a real life, like this really happened to someone. It seems like it would be a soap opera or a movie or something. The thing is that her experience of dealing with this person who seemed to be a con man and a liar made her curious to find out more about people who live double lives, seem to be liars, um, have problems like with completely being truthful or just like have experienced themselves a partner, parent, relative that is kind of shady. And she talks to different people and she tells different stories about people who maybe were in a relationship with someone and had a similar situation or their parent was, whatever it is. It goes into more of a like study kind of like this sociology study where she's like talking to people and learning more. And what I kind of wanted was more of a novel, like her personal experience and the different twists and turns and interactions and kind of the struggle, because this is what happens in, in these stories is like, it seems easy once you're out of it or from an outside perspective, like, why were you still listening to this guy? Why were you putting up with this? Like, how did he trick you? You're very smart. And when you're in it, that's what's interesting is, yeah, like you have this little red flag, but then they will do or say something that's reassuring, or you'll start to question yourself. Like those little interactions are what really keep you hooked, both in following someone's story and I think in real life, in dealing with someone that kind of dicks you around. And I just don't think we stayed in her story. She would tell a certain interaction, going to a party with him, or this little red flag where he didn't invite her to a party that seems like, wouldn't you want me to go to? All of these little things, she would kind of mention it, but you weren't there. You weren't like in the story with her. So it was really easy for me to stop this one and then go to listen to something else. This actually took me a while to get through. And I really only finished it so that I could give a review because I was like, maybe this is like an awesome grand finale ending, but I wasn't 
digging it as I was listening to it. I just kept, because she would start to talk about someone else, she would tell another story that was similar. And she was curious. And like, you want to know, like, how many people do this? If it is done to you, I get potentially why she got curious and wanted to study this and talk to other people who have experienced this and kind of figure out how common this is and what this means and all of these things. I get why she went this way, but I think in what I wanted, and I'm just me, I wanted to just hear the story, like the ups and downs, because I know that it is super complicated. And especially when she was full on living with this person, like how someone can kind of trick you or you kind of want to be tricked, all of those things I think are really interesting. So I surprisingly did not like this book as much as I really wanted to. I would say I would give it three shoes on a scale of one to five shoes. And the shoes are running shoes, most likely, ideally new. But that's my little rating scale for today. The next book is Ladies Who Punch by Ramin Sethi. And both of these books actually were, I heard about these books through podcasts. So these people were on another podcast. I think this one, he was on the Heather McDonald podcast, I believe. And this book, Ladies Who Punch, is about The View. The ladies of The View, basically from the start to today, everyone that has been on the cast and kind of the different casting situations, people being hired and fired and the behind the scenes, all of that stuff. I did think it was very entertaining. It kind of reminded me more of a podcast than a book because it seemed to jump around a little bit, but the stories were these like fun little stories. I think it was a fast listen because each of the little stories, like he was just talking about highlights. I don't know how long The View has been around, but it's a minute. Like it has been around a long time. And so I think he had a lot of good stories to share. So it was, even though it kind of jumped around a bit, it was all fairly interesting stuff. What I didn't like about it is that it seemed gossipy and... I there I don't know why there was just like this vibe to it that was kind of gossipy. I think in part because the person telling the story wasn't in it, right? So it wasn't like on one hand you can think it's a neutral outsider who is telling these stories, but I think if you like a show, if you're a fan of pop culture, you often have your favorites, right? And I don't know, there was just this Focus on it. I guess this is the thing is that the stories were interesting, but there was a lot of little fights and people that didn't get along. And as much as it was interesting to have a peek behind the scenes and it to be interesting, like you have no idea how people are getting along. I think that it focused on their fights, that there wasn't a ton of feel good, happy stories when I think that probably there are a lot, like I'm sure that there are a lot of good friendships that came out of that show and a lot of happy, fun stories of people spending time together and getting close and becoming best friends, lifelong friends, you know, hanging out with their families together. It just focused on 
the fights for the most part and these like struggles for power and who was in charge and people butting heads. And I don't think that those types of stories would be told in the same way if it was a show with just male hosts. And there was just something about it that as I was listening to it, as much as I thought, yeah, I do want to know this stuff and I am curious about it. I think it could have maybe been balanced out with people getting along and being supportive and being more, I don't know, kind and united and just like supporting each other and cheering for each other. Like, I just think it was the the book was basically about kind of the the fights and the struggles and the drama and not about the feel good stuff, which could have been fun and interesting, too, because I want to see behind the scenes and I don't think that it just has to be people not getting along. It actually made me kind of question like a lot of reality TV because I don't think that's the case that people just want to see drama. And I don't think drama has to be people fighting because I'm also fans of, I'm also a fan of the Duggars. And I feel like I would want to watch something and it they don't have to like fight or have drama for me to continue to watch it. Basically though, I thought that it was a fast listen and interesting. So I would recommend it. I would especially recommend it for someone that likes pop culture, that is a fan of The View, or likes any of the behind the scenes kind of reality TV, any podcasts about reality TV. I think it would, because I don't really watch The View, but I still listen to this and I thought it was interesting for sure. So I think I would give this one four shoes. And again, that's Ladies Who Punch by Ramin Seti. Those are my two book reviews. I have so many. I don't even know. Like, I feel like knocking two out. I'm pretty proud of myself because I have a list and I have been also making notes as I'm listening to them because I'm like, I want to make sure to mention this. I want to make sure to mention that, especially if you are not listening to this books, I, these books, I think reading them takes more time. It's going to take you longer. And I wouldn't want to spend a ton of time. Like, I don't want to recommend something that you're just going to be like, well, now I have this book. And yeah, I also want to start a book club. I'm not sure how we can do that, how we can touch base on giving our thoughts about it. If we, I can talk to like one person or a handful of people, you can call in. Let me know if you have any ideas on how we can do a virtual book club. But that's it for the warm up today. Now let's get into the main event. Paul Huddle is a former pro triathlete turned coach, and now he's senior regional director with the Rock and Roll Marathon Series and Ironman. He has a ton of experience both competing in endurance racing and organizing the events all around the world. I really could have talked to him for hours. I've actually been wanting to talk to a race director for a really long time. I want to know the logistics and behind the scenes, everything that goes into organizing a race. And I feel like we barely touched the surface because there was so much to talk to him about. We start with his background in triathlons, which is super interesting. I feel like there were a lot of similarities to how I got started with blogging when it's kind of this semi-new type of career path for you and you're just kind of figuring it out. Um, So I thought that was super fun and interesting. I hope that you get a ton from this interview And if you are interested in running Rock and Roll San Diego, it is this weekend. And 
Paul shares a last minute discount code that you can actually use at the expo. So check it out. It's at the end of the interview. I will put it in the show notes at runeatrepeat.com so that you can screenshot it and yeah, get an awesome discount code for a race that is this weekend. I haven't really heard of something like that before. So I'm very excited that he shared that. I also put out a call on my Instagram stories if you had any questions for him. And I did get a handful, but I know that Instagram stories only are live for 24 hours and not everyone watches the stories. So I am creating a Runny Repeat podcast Facebook page that will give us the opportunity to ask questions, give feedback. I'll give you a heads up when there's going to be an interview coming up and we can ask questions so you can leave them there because I definitely want to be able to get all of your questions answered for upcoming interviewees. So check that out. I will put a link for that as well on runeatrepeat.com. But now let's get to the call with Paul Huddle. I wanted to start by getting a little bit of a background on your really athletic background before you even kind of got into the industry as a career. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to start from day one, but Uh, tell us a little bit about this because there's, I mean, there's a lot to brag about for sure. No, there really isn't when you <laughs> when you come from the world that I was in and the people I raced and trained with. But so, you know, usual swam as a kid, ran high school, college, and then got into triathlon out of college and uh, raced professionally for 10 years and had some sort of okay races here and there. Um, I would say I made a living for about three years out of just racing, but mainly I worked, you know, in the off season. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. It was a great, great experience. It was one of those things that you do when you don't want to look back and say, I, I should have, could have, whatever. You mm-hmm. did it. You gave it your all and you did what you did. And there you go. So casually. Yeah. I raced professionally for 10 years. It's not much to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I mean, that period, 80, well, I would guess 84-ish to 94-ish, you know, people were like, was was there professional racing back then? <laughs> you know, it's so it's so interesting because at the time, yeah, it's like you're you're racing what you feel like is the very well, yeah, I guess it is the very best in the world and the peak of your sport. But and then when you see what your sport has become, you realize how deep it is now, and you know it's it's just amazing. You know, so I'm, so I'm sure people when people look back and go, "Wow, your first races, you didn't have to wear a helmet." <laughs> Yep. Well, your first race is you, you raced in toe clips. Yep. <laughs> no such thing as a disc wheel. Yep. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. But it, it was interesting because it, a lot of the technology, you know, aero bars and disc wheels and clipless pedals, a lot of the stuff we take for granted now and wetsuits started during that period of time. So it was fun to be around during that. That is really interesting. And I think it's so different because there are a lot of things that we just accept, right? It's like, what are these rules, these do's and don'ts? What gear do people use? But when you're there and you're actually like in the sport and you think you know your sport, you know your body so well, was it hard for those things to kind of catch on or for different athletes to adapt to them? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was, think about it, there was no engineered nutrition. So power bar didn't exist. Gels didn't exist. None of that existed. Coaching didn't exist. You There was obviously swimming and cycling and running coaching, but there was no such thing as triathlon coaching. So 
you know, it was a sport where people were just so enamored and it was so novel and it was so crazy and it was so fun because if all you had done was a single sport and you got into this thing with three different sports, especially if you came from say swimming or running, which, you know, I'm not saying they're boring, but if you do it enough, it does become fairly repetitive. Then you get on a bike and you can go anywhere and you can go fast and you can go around corners. And it's just, it just opens up this whole new world. It, it was really interesting at that time. And, you know, nobody knew about training. So overtraining was rampant because you had, you had a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds and they, everybody trained, you know, as sort of a single sport athlete in that sport. And not realizing that, you know, you're really overtaxing yourself because you're, as a swimmer, you're pretty much always swimming hard. As a runner, you're probably running hard at least twice or three times a week and running a long run. Cycling, you can go hard all the time, but generally you have, and you're trying to put all that together and, you know, you didn't really realize probably that wasn't the best idea. So. Yeah, well, the, it's funny. I, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to say, were you just kind of like making it up as you went along in terms of the training totally. plans? Like you would... <laughs> totally. Yeah, it was all with your friends and it was all you know, you'd head out the door and, you know, everyone would be like, yeah, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to ride there, or I'm gonna run there. And it was always like, yeah, we're going to go easy. And you never went easy. And it was always a race. And you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was fun. It was still fun. Yeah. You know, fun. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. And then how did you make the transition into f- making it your career? You know, it's it's weird. It just it happened very organically. I mean, I I was on my way to graduating college, had no idea what I wanted to do, was very driven by endurance sports, very enamored and, you know, with um, running in particular and ran, you know, a lot in at the University of Arizona and was a walk-on and was awful, you know, compared to the guys that ran there. I think our seventh guy was a 29-minute 10K guy. So really, really deep talent. And I just thought if I if I work hard enough, I'll eventually become fast. And I didn't realize I was just, you know, tall, white, and slow, and and a bigger guy for a, a distance runner. You know, I'd started riding a bike. I was also very um, enthralled with the Tour de France and that that kind of stuff. And like some guys came to town from out of town who were doing triathlon professionally, and I met them and start. They were really good to me and took me along. And I eventually got to do a race and I actually made a little money and it, that was it. It was just, I want to do this. And it was, you know, in retrospect, a very rash and probably a very poor business decision. But, you know, you, how can you, you can't really quantify enthusiasm of a, you know, 20, a, you know, a young 21-ish year old person, very romanticized ideal. And if, you know, you're coming from being a college student, you're poor anyway, so you don't really understand what what the reality of doing that for a living is just the fact that you, you, you make a hundred bucks and you're like, Oh my God, I'm rich you know, at that point. <laughs> yeah. And well, and you're making that money doing something that you're just like, well, I could be, I yeah. would make that much yeah. money and do something I, just, I didn't like. I would be doing this regardless. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I made a few bucks, I'm like, it's amazing. So from there, did you start kind of working with specific sponsors or how was that? Um... Oh, yeah, that was so it's so funny when you look back. I even I, I remember looking at some of the original letters, you know, when you go through stuff, when we've moved a couple of times and it's just hysterical. You, I would literally take the running or cycling magazines and look at all the ads and they'd always have an address. And I just put a little card with whatever my current, you know, finishes were. And send them a letter and just said, Hey, here's what I'm doing. You know, 
And if you got anything back, you were over the moon. Mm-hmm. So, so that's sort of how it started. It was very, very innocent and naive and, you know, it was the front end of, of all of that in, in the endurance, in our, in the triathlon endurance sports world. So even the companies themselves didn't really, they're like, what is this triathlon thing? Do we want to be involved? Is this something that's going to be cool? I remember when Shimano got involved and they gave a bunch of us group sets and, you know, you got stickers They're like, Ooh, I got a, I got a Grupo and I got stickers to put on my bike. This is awesome. So, mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, I wonder if you, if nothing else, if you were super hooked up with like gear and stuff, you know? Yeah, you, the gear was pretty easy, you know, and there were, there were a few guys who were, who were much more savvy and actually had some um, professional representation and sort of understood it, you know, but not a lot of people, you know, you sort of understood it, but you definitely, it was very new if you were just doing it on your own. And you're like, oh, if I just wear their logo, maybe they'll give me some money. And you're not really understanding everything that goes with that. And remember, this is pre-social media. This is very, very um, new. You know, you would do a race and you wouldn't see the results or pictures from that race for two months until it came out in Traffic Magazine. Oh, wow. Or I guess at the time, oh, there, yeah, 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 <laughs> very different. It's so funny. It is so different, but a lot of what you're saying, there are a ton of parallels to blogging and social media because when I first started runningrepeat.com, I had no idea. You know, I was just like just getting out of college and I was a communications major. I just doing it for fun. Is it like there's all these similarities and then companies start sending you stuff. And then they're like, well, actually, if we send you this, can you talk about this? And I was so not business savvy. And I'm just like, okay. And then someone else is like, well, you should get paid if you're advertising for them. And you have that big of a following. And you're just like, oh, okay. Like, it's just like, it's funny. You have to figure it out as you go along. And you're just like, all right, asking each other, you know, like, luckily, you know, you make friends and people are super cool. It's like to on this similar level too, where it's a competition, but it's not like, we're not You know, you just, you kind of want to be there and like give each other tips and you just had to figure it out as you went along. Absolutely. It's exactly the same thing. Yep. And so now you're a big honcho for a huge <laughs> company. How did that transition go from being an athlete to now? Right. So, so racing and training led to coaching. We, we started, um, myself, my wife, actually my wife and John Howard, who was the cyclist of the decade in the seventies. I mean, that was a guy who, who sort of preceded Greg Lamond, who then, of course, preceded Lance Armstrong on the U.S. side, right? He was, mm-hmm. he was America's best cyclist at the time. He and, um, and my wife and another guy named John Duke, um, started a, started a, multi-sports school of champions, which at the time was triathlon clinics, basically week-long clinics where you could come and learn about how to um, prepare for and do a triathlon. And that evolved. We were doing camps, you know, for at least, I think, four or five years. And that evolved into when I was on the starting to go slower and realizing I needed to figure something else out. I thought, you know, I've been doing these camps. I could certainly coach. And right at that moment, about 95, 96, the inner was starting to become, I mean, it already had become a thing, but it was very much more becoming a thing. And we decided to put everything 
under the name multisports.com, which everyone thought was crazy because having a company with .com on the end just sounded so strange. And we started doing coaching programs online. And that sort of led to an association with an old friend who we used to race with who had just uh, purchased the license for Ironman races in North America named Grant Fraser. And he was looking for help executing his first, you know, Ironman out here in California and asked my partner at the time and I, Rock, to to be the bike course guys. We had no idea what that meant. We just thought, okay, we're going to volunteer and help, you know, execute the bike course portion of this Ironman. And it was a ton of work. It was, you know, it was, I don't know, nine different agencies, including, you know, the San Onofre Nuclear Station, California Highway Patrol, San Clemente, Oceanside, County of San Diego, Camp Pendleton, you know, it was just on and on and on. And we got a real dose of it. And and we didn't know it at the time, but Graham thought these guys used to be pro triathletes. They're not going to work, but I'm happy to give them a try. So we volunteered, did a decent job at that. And then he offered to pay us to help do his bike courses. And then we eventually became race directors. And that's sort of how it all started. It all started, you know, really, again, organically and by volunteering. And that led to us, you know, really dividing our time between coaching camps and race directing and the operation side of putting on the Ironman races, which when we we started, I think there was two races in North America. There was Ironman Canada and I think Florida or Lake Placid. And we were part of Graham's team who built those first eight Ironman events, including Arizona and Oceanside, which turned into a 70.3, as you know. Um, and Coeur d'Alene, Wisconsin, see Florida, Disney, there, there was eight of them, you know, six Ironmans and two 70.3s. And then uh, WTC took over and we still contracted. Um, we're doing a bunch of other stuff, all sorts of events. And then in 2000, end of 2013, beginning of 14, became full-time with Ironman and went over to Europe and spent, I think, three and a half years over there working in what's called EMEA, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and then came back about two years ago. And now I'm in the Southwest region um, for for Ironman. And, you know, right around the time that we acquired um, CGI, which is, of course, um, the rock and roll brand. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of a quick, hopefully a quick and somewhat clear snapshot of what happened. Well, yes, it's, it's a clear snapshot of what happened, but I just cannot wrap my brain around the logistics of... Yeah, I yeah. can't either. Still, <laughs> it's a miracle. Because I'm just like, okay, so there was two of you guys that did the the bike portion. I mean, at this point, how many people does it take to kind of set all this up? It, how many people are assigned? To, it, it, does it still work like that? We had a pretty small team. We always had a race director. And that was not us at that time. You had a race director and a volunteer coordinator who are the people on the ground in that, in a given community. And they're the ones who are really setting the table for the team when the team comes in. So Rock and I were working for our race director at the time, a guy named Buzz Mills, who was a former Lieutenant Colonel in the Marine Corps. He was a, a helicopter pilot, squadron pilot. And he and the volunteer coordinator at the time, Jen Santel, they sort of told us what to do. And, and then we went out and were liaising with the communities that we dealt with on the bike course. And setting that up and meeting with all the volunteer groups, which is basically the Marine Corps areas and getting the traffic control dialed up and meeting with all the law enforcement and the traffic control companies and all that stuff. And 
Yeah, you're right. It is a lot of logistics. It's a very well choreographed day because you're executing three individual events, you know, and then tying them together. If you if you like endurance sports, it's almost an endurance sport in and of itself. I always tell people it, it's, I think, significantly harder to put on an event than it is to race an event. Mm-hmm. And they don't believe you, but the ones who have come out and worked with us, they believe it because it's sleep deprivation on top of, you know, really having to know every detail and executing the timeline you know, yeah. perfectly to make sure to make sure it's, you know, a, a safe, smooth day. You do the triathlons and all of that, but also the the Rock and Roll Marathon series. I feel like there are more participants in the average marathon series race. Is that correct versus a triathlon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there, that's the big difference. So I think you, you could, and it's interesting because since we've had this um, acquisition, the the folks I now work with who come from the rock and roll side are so good at what they do. And then there's so many details that you don't think about as sort of the person who puts on a triathlon that they have to think about and vice versa. But it, it feels like the triathlon is a little more operationally complicated from a, just a, you know, you're dealing with swim, bike, run and all of the entities that have to be involved, you know, with, with regard to the swim, it's obviously swim safety and, and all of that. And then there's a venue, a transition. And then the bike course is usually the hardest part. We didn't know this at the time when we were bike course guys. <laughs> we did bike course for a long time. And then we got involved in the swim and the run. We're like, wait a minute, we, we've been doing this wrong. Um, but the bike is very involved and obviously very, can be, you know, potentially very dangerous. And then you have the run. So, but if everyone says, oh, if you're just putting on a marathon, what's the big deal? It's just a marathon. Well, if you're talking about a rock and roll marathon, you're talking about upwards of 20 to 40,000 people. You're talking about big cities, like downtown big cities, you know, so the, the density of that population that you're impacting is so much greater. You're talking about a real expo convention center, not, you know, an outdoor 40 to 80 tents, 10 by 10 tents, but you're talking, you know, parking and unions and this giant center that you're that you're sort of taking over. And then you're just talking about masses of people. So it's a different animal. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily cover as much ground. You're not involving 56 miles of bike, you know, mm-hmm. but you're, you know, it's 26 miles or a half marathon, whatever in downtown San Diego or downtown Chicago or downtown Las Vegas. So it's a very big operation as big. And in some cases, you know, bigger in, in scale than some of our Ironman events. Is it like comparing apples and oranges or is there one that is clearly harder to execute? It's apples and oranges. I think they're both hard. I think the Ironman's a longer day. It's funny because our, my, um, my cohort down here, my colleague who's our head of operations, Ken Schulte, and I talk about that all the time. And he'll, he, um, he'll tell you how it's just a much longer day on, on an Ironman. And that was what surprised me. You know, you go into a, a rock and roll marathon and what's amazing to me is how how quickly and how efficiently they they set it up and tear it down it, you know it's it's up and ready to go obviously race morning and all that and then boom as soon as it's over it's it's done and gone quickly mm-hmm. it's it's quite quite impressive if you see that see it in action they're a well-oiled machine they are and there's so many of the guys who work on these events guys men and women 
who are so good at what they do. And I would put them, I, I just, I always tell them, they're like, Oh, I could never do that. It's like, you'd be shocked and you'd be shocked how good you are because it's really about keeping going at a steady pace when it talk when you talk about endurance events. And it's true. Some of them have tried either Ironman or, you know, from marathon even to ultra running and they're, they're very good, you know, cause they're used to working hard for long periods of time. Yeah. Pretty physical. So yeah. when, when you're still out there, obviously for these leading up to these events coming up, do you feel any sort of FOMO that you're working it and not able to no. participate? No, 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 zero. <laughs> See, that was the part of that first 20 years of my life. I uh-huh. got it all out. I mean, trust me, there was a period there when I was as rabid as the most rabid triathlete, you know, endurance athlete you can think of, you know, I went from swimming as a kid to running and then like I said running in college and then triathlon and you know did triathlon for a very long time did a lot of Ironman racing you know it evolved from like the sprint Olympic stuff remember the old days of the United States triathlon series and then um, into sort of more the Ironman stuff and then we went from that to adventure racing I don't know if you remember how popular that was sort of in the late 90s and we did a bit of that and then I got into ultra running for a little bit and, you know, so I feel like I went all the way through it and I've come out the other side and I still love being active. I mean, my wife and I love to ride our mountain bikes. I, I desperately love surfing and paddling, and, but I, I'm not interested in anything on the road in general. <laughs> and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I just I, I had my fill and yeah. I really enjoyed it, but I've had enough. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, especially for you to like touch all those different bases. It's not like, cause I think sometimes people when they still like have want, it's because they're like, Oh, I've always wanted to do an ultra or I wanted to do a try. You know, they haven't like checked that box. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's, it's good to, to do that. It's good to, to go out and do it, experience it and, and know what it's like. Cause I, 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 but the one thing I will say, I still love being involved in the sport and yes, it's hard and yes, it's work. And yes, there's a lot of things that, you know, you, it's like any job. There are things that that's why they call it a job because it's not necessarily, you know, it's not playtime all the time, but the event weekends are fantastic when you get to interact with, you know, the agency side, the law enforcement, the EMS, the, you know, the fire guys. Um, we just had our tabletop exercise today in San Diego, and it's just it's it's phenomenal to work with all these amazing professionals. And then you get to work with the communities, the the folks on the permitting side and the in the in the cities who host us, and then the volunteer component. There's so many great people who give of themselves, and then of course the athletes. And you get to you get to see and experience brand new athletes who are so excited and it's infectious. You just like, I remember what that was like. And this is so cool to still be able to be a part of it. And then you, there's a lot of the grizzled veterans who are, you know, we have our legacy runners here at rock and roll San Diego. And, and I think there's upwards, there's easily in the eighties, nineties. I thought it was right around a hundred, but I think there's a few, few less right now, but that have done this event every single year, the marathon every single year. This is the 20, I think it's 21st. So. That um, is amazing. Really. It really is amazing. And they, and they love getting together and they'll tell you all the stories. And it's, it's just a really, it, and it's, it's really impressive what a lot of them have done to keep that streak alive, you know, cause you can imagine what anybody goes through in their life over the course of 20 years, oh, for 20 sure. plus years now. Yeah. And to be able to get out there and do that marathon year in, year out, it's impressive. 
So since you're a few days out from San Diego right now, is this major crunch time? Like, what does this week look like for the team? It, it, it is, but it's less so, I think, for me, because we have a great team. Our race director, Brian Yori, is methodical and organized and detailed and, you know, documents everything. And he's one of the most relaxed race directors I've ever been around. He's done a, an amazing job in setting it all up for everybody else to get out there and, and execute. You know, we, uh, Meryl Levinson is one of the best course operators, I think, in the business and one of the few females who is the lead. And she's phenomenal. I mean, if, if, if you saw the level of detail she goes through just on things like, you know, potholes, I mean, I guarantee you she knows every inch of this course really intimately. She can tell you where every bump on the road is and, She's in constant contact with. There's a lot of people out there right now who are incredibly busy. I'm. I. I would hesitate to say I'm definitely not one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I. You know, there's a lot of meetings. We're, it's. It's all day, every day. But it, it's not busy like if I was the course guy. If I was the bike course guy for an Ironman, that's busy. Those guys are extremely busy. Our expo guys are busy. The marketing team is really busy. There's a lot of people that are you know selling it out this week to make this thing happen. Um, including the volunteer captains and all the volunteers. Um, so yeah, it's busy, but not as much I would say for me, but definitely for my for our team. Mm-hmm. What is like the biggest like stress or for the or worst case scenario for the team? Is it like a weather thing? Is it a safety thing that yeah. you guys want to make sure you're prepared for? <laughs> yeah, and I and I I have a hard time with this. My wife can tell you this. I, I feel very very responsible personally. I think everybody does. But weather is is my worst thing. You know, I, it is, I think, for every for everybody who puts on events outside, not in a sort of a stadium environment. Um, so you're always, you you know, everybody's a weatherman. And you always have people that you turn to. You have your favorite apps. You, you know, and, and Ironman does a, a great job by making sure that we're supported, not just with the apps that you can get, you know, on your phone, which we all have, but with more detailed and deeper stuff along those lines and then obviously the agency side the local weather radar and access that that we have just simply by virtue of the governmental agencies that we deal with is is really critical as well but yeah i I would say weather is the number one thing that any event organizer worries about and i know everyone's going what do you worry about weather for in san diego (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is a which is a good argument. Which is fair. That's a fair argument. We don't often get terrible weather here. It can get hot. Um, we're looking at knock on wood, very good weather this weekend. You know, high in the high 60s and low in the um, high 50s. But if you're out there on the 163 at you know 11 o'clock and the sun's beaten down and there's very little wind and it's not exposed and you've been coming from a winter or a relatively cool you know spring it can get warm enough to the point that it's a problem. So yeah, we, that's, that's the number one thing we worry about is weather, I would say. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a race situation where you've had to change something because of the weather? Like, do you have to? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I, I don't even know how many races I've had the pleasure of being a part of, but in the last, you know, five years, it all starts to blur together. But I would say, you know, the, the three years I was in Europe, we probably had to either cancel or modify a swim at least a half a dozen times over the course of a given season because of cold or wind. 
We've had to modify bike courses because of lamp slides. We've had, you know, there's, there's just stuff that happens. But the great thing is the amount of experience. Like I said, back in 2000, we didn't have all that experience. So since then, you know, we've, 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 you know, it's just same as doing reps in sports, right? You know, the reason you run a million football plays is so that you're really good at running those plays. Same thing in this, in this business. And I think it's probably the same in most businesses when you get enough experience. And I'm not saying that we're perfect because we still learn something every single time and we still screw something up every single time feels like, um, but <laughs> you get better and you, and you learn how to adapt and you also learn how to, how to plan for contingencies. So I think that's critical. And it's something that we really work hard on because you don't know, you just don't know, you don't know what's coming. And so you really try and prepare for every eventuality and have, have, have backup plans, you know, and I think every event director does this even down to the 5k, you know, you want to, you want to try and plan for everything. Mm -hmm. So when there are those things that go wrong, most of the time, does the average participant not know about it? Are you guys like putting out fires behind the scenes? It depends. It depends. You know, we, we, we have a, a pretty strong policy of trying to be as honest and transparent with our customer as possible because we know what it's like, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to, you don't want to be surprised. So yeah, remember, um, yeah, there we had a, we have a very popular 70.3 triathlon in Provence and in, in France. And you can imagine South of France, you're expecting fantastic weather, very similar to San Diego. And this race is in May and a freak um, storm front came in and we could see that it was going to be extremely cold the next morning. It was beautiful weather the days before, but we could see what was coming. And so we, we just decided unanimously with our media PR team that we needed to put out on social and send, send emails to all of our athletes and let them know what to expect the next day, which was the possibility of a shortened or canceled swim and then doing a time trial start and to please dress warmly, et cetera, et cetera. We would make the call by 5 a.m. and let them know exactly what the plan was. And so we, we've had situations like that. We had the same situation in Santa Rosa last year for that 70.3 with fog. And so all you, all you can do is try and be as honest and clear with people and let them know what the plan will be. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just trying to set expectations. So it's not a surprise, right? You're saying, you know, come, we're going to do our best to make sure that you get a swim, but if it's not safe and we, we have to, we're going to shorten it. And here's what that looks like. And if, and if it's still too cold and we have to cancel it, here's what that's going to look like. And I think, you know, for well over 90% of the people, they'd much prefer that than showing up on race morning and, you know, just having it thrown at them. Right. Yes. But sometimes you don't know. And sometimes you have to roll with the punches and do the best you can. So, but there, the nice thing is we have a lot of support. You know, there's a lot of great people with really deep operational experience who it's not just one person ma making a decision. Yes, ultimately, there probably is one person who has to make a call, but that's supported by at least, you know, a half dozen very experienced opinions and with a lot of input. Yeah. And I, I do think like over communicate and I'm sure social media really helps with this now because being able to check, yeah. you know, the Facebook, the Instagram, Twitter, get updates from the race, I think helps Absolutely. a ton because you're already nervous. And if you think I'm going to show up and I don't know what to expect, it just yeah makes people yep. crazy. Yeah, it does. And so when if 
you know, San Diego is this weekend. When do you start planning yeah. for next year's San Diego? Like how much in advance? <laughs> about six months, about six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. No, you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll definitely have your dates, you know, mm-hmm. all lined up. Um, and then if you, if you have changes that you know you want to make, you'll start those as far out as two years in advance because you can't just, and I know this is really, this is what, so interesting when you come from the you're an athlete side of racing to the organizational side of racing as an athlete you of course naturally see it through your own lens and so you always are thinking well why didn't they do this and why did they go up this road and why didn't they avoid that hill and why did they you know mm-hmm. there's all those whys and what you realize on the other side of it is you're 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 really trying to give your athletes the best possible experience while also minimizing the negative impact on the community. It's always a compromise. And and I'll tell you what, San Diego is one of the best communities we have to work with. And I know you're sitting there going, well, of course you're going to say that, but it's true. And and I think most communities understand that, you know, this is an opportunity to show their community off, but they 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 have to balance that with how is this going to impact my residents and my citizens, because that's no small thing. You know, there's hospitals, there's airports, there's churches, there's businesses, you know, and just the resident who wants to go where he needs to go or she needs to go on race day. And so we really do our best to make sure that everything can move, you know, as as much as possible while still providing this, you know, really cool and fun spectacle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, Cause I feel like I've run San Diego in the past and there are parts of the course that are gorgeous and awesome. I'm a huge fan. I'm a SoCal girl outside of LA, okay, but, and I'm, yeah. but I'm a huge fan of San Diego. Like I, and I just think like Southern California is the way to go <laughs> like across the board. I will tell yep, anyone anytime. Yep, I'm very I'm partial. I'm, I'm with you on that. But so I am curious, um, when I know an area, right, when I've run around an area, I'm like, oh, well, why don't they go by this? Is that mo- that's <laughs> just a part of the logistics? I'm like, hey, why don't we take a detour? Yeah. There's this cool thing over here, you guys. Like, <laughs> Of course, of course. And of course, the probably the biggest question is, why do we have to go up the 163 at mile 21? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you doing that to us? You're just torturing us. You know, but I uh, remember when I did it, you know, the first couple of years and you got to go down the 163, you know, and, and I thought, yeah, that's right. And we used to end over at MCRD and boy, this must be really rough having to having to have this hill here, mm-hmm. you know, but but there are logistics around everything. And, you know, well, what did we do when we went over by MCRD? Well, we crossed the coast highway. Huh. <laughs> is that a problem? <laughs> yeah, it actually is a problem. So. So there's a lot of things that are taken into consideration and it doesn't mean the courses are never going to change. They always change. Uh And it's just, you know, you, you do your best and you, you have to work with your communities and, you know, there's a lot of interests that you have to listen to and take into consideration. Fine. I have almost, and I'm saying that because I have, (laughs) I have slammed into the wall right there. It's the timing. I think that's like unfortunate too, where you're just like, Oh, like, why why did they do this to me? I have slammed into the wall there and like had to hold it together by a hope and a prayer. I mean, I've done, (laughs) I've done, I don't know if you're familiar with the wildflower triathlon, but I remember finishing that race a few times and, 
literally going to Terry Davis and like, why, why do you have to have all these hills in this course? This is unnecessary, you know, but you know, it's like anything, a a course. And I, you know, this, this course has a decent amount of history now, but it'd be like saying, why do you have to have the Newton Hills in Boston? Yeah. People don't say that people know that and know that's a legendary part of that course. And that's almost how I feel about some of our tougher races. I mean, if you went to Lanzarote to do the Ironman, you're not going to go into that race blind. You are going to know very clearly that's one of the hardest bike courses in the world. Mm-hmm. And you better be ready to be going up and down some hills and being very exposed to wind. And, you know, you just got to mentally prepare yourself that that's what it is. And I, 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 I empathize, you know, with anybody hitting a giant hill like 163 at 20, 21 miles in a marathon. But at the same time, I want to go, guess what? Guess what happens on the other side of that hill? Guess what happens on the other other side of that hill all the way to the finish line? Yeah. And you it's earned downhill. it. It is downhill. Yeah. And you earned it. And you went up and over that hill. So, you know, we talk a lot about the 163 and how we can make that a better or, I don't know, a, a novel part of the course. There's no novelty to it, I guess, when your legs are where they're at when you're 20, 21 miles in. But we're gonna we're we're trying to get some surprises out there, and and one of the things we're gonna have out there is we've got a, I think we've got thirty or forty Marines who are gonna be at a point on that hill, urawing people up that hill, and oh. who better to represent? Who better to represent? You know, tough and hard, and you know what those guys have to go through than the Marine Corps. So I hope that gives some some folks at least some something positive to remember about that suffering at that point in that course. Yeah. I mean, it definitely any sort of like inspiration or welcome <laughs> distraction is needed at that point. I thought about, I thought about just having a bunch of moms at the top of the hill with Kleenex to <laughs> hug you, you know, when, when you got to, Oh honey, it's okay. Right. You did a good job. That's Go what to I the needed. finish line now. You're good. That's what I needed. Cause Boys. I was like, hold it together. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So I have a couple of questions. I put a call out, um, see if yeah. anyone had questions for you. These okay. are probably questions you get all the time. Cause these are questions that I have actually, people have asked me when I've mentioned rock and roll races, rock and roll, Los Angeles. Is it ever yes. going to come back? I, it's not this year. We're, you're, it's not in October, no, right? It's not. It, I mean, it's not this year, and and I'm not going to ever say never. It's not going to come back in the next year or two for sure. Um, and I'm I'm one of those guys. I mean, I I like all races, and I when I when I started with when you know when when rock and roll was acquired by Iron Man, and I got to go to Chicago in 2017, and I think I went to LA that year as well, and then I. I worked and was in the lead vehicle for LA last year. And I really, really, really enjoyed that race. It went really great. And it's a Halloween theme and, you know, Comic-Con, I think was that weekend. There was so much going on in LA, but in in the near term, no, but I, I would never say never because I think everybody knows that, you know, races have come back when they've left for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, we all just no, want it an won't, excuse. It won't, it won't be back in 20. Yeah, okay. I know. <laughs> we we want to dress up. We need another costume, a timely costume race. Then there has to be some way to. Yeah, I think our our, our staff would agree with that because our staff love dressing up too. It's a lot of fun. Yes, and I I feel like especially in this area in this region, there hasn't been the Anaheim Disney races 
because of everything they're doing there. They've been canceled for a while. And like the people yeah. who just like, like to have a fun run, you know, and like dress up and yeah. be silly. Just we haven't been able to get that out of our system because I'm included in that. No. I'm just like, no, you're right. Race. you're right. It's true. We definitely need a, an option there. Okay. Next question. This person is saying, is there anything that can be done differently to enforce corral times? They see runners jumping no. their corral uh, times from the sides. This makes me crazy. Yeah, we are. That's one of our big focuses actually in San Diego. I mean, that's one of the things I've put out to the team actually two days ago. I, I went through all of our feedback again and looked through the through the debrief that we did last year. And I just sent it out back to all the area leads and I just made a list. And number one on that list was um, corral security. So yes, we are going to attempt to control that better. We have six foot high fencing now on both sides of the street instead of only on the one side. We have single entrances. We have Marines staffing the entrance exit points. You know, we're, we're going to do everything we can, but you know, and, and the one thing I'm encouraging our announcers to do is I just said, Hey, you know what they do at Southwest Airlines? You ever been on a Southwest flight? How do you line up? How do you get on the plane? Right? It's A, A through A1 through 60, B1 through 60, C1 through 60. And what do they tell you? Look at your boarding pass, look at the person, ask the person in front of you, behind you. So what what we're gonna encourage is I'm gonna we're encouraging the announcers to talk to the athletes and and have the athletes look around because it's right there on your bid number. It says your corral number. So help each other out, <laughs> I guess is a nice way of saying, make sure you're looking at the folks around you and just say, hey, you're in the wrong crowd. Maybe you want to move up. Maybe you want to move back. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying that to make sure people are lining up where they said that their predicted time puts them so that the runners can run and, and the folks who want to run a little bit more easy can run a little more easy. And then the walkers can walk. But the last thing you want as a runner is a bunch of walkers who are, you know, out in front. Well, here, one of the other things we're going to try at, at Vegas, and we did this in Los Angeles. I don't know if you remember this or if you raced last year, but we traditionally, we're going to still, everything's going to look the same. You're going to line up by corral. That whole thing's going to be the same, but we're going to, we're going to roll you onto the course in a steady stream. So it's going to trickle onto the course because the one, one of the biggest things I've noticed at a lot of our races is we go from, say, a three or four lane wide start, and it narrows down to two lanes relatively quickly. And I think San Diego is one of these courses. So when you go up six, you turn right on University, and within about a mile and a half, it narrows because you're going to have the marathoners coming back against you, right? So when, it, when you start three or four lanes wide and you go to two lanes in a relatively short period of time, that obviously causes a lot of congestion and doesn't leave a lot of space to run as fast as you like. So we're going to, it'll take the same amount of time to get everyone out of those start corrals onto the course, but we're going to do so in a way that sort of allows it to be two lanes wide right away. So you're going to have a ton of room, but when it squeezes down to two lanes, you're not going to notice it as much and you're still going to be able to run without having to slow down and chop your stride and all of that. So I think that's going to make a big difference, but the biggest difference or the biggest positive impact that can be made is for people to line up in the correct corral. And I know, you know, we talk about this all the time and trust me, this is one of the biggest topics of conversation on the operational side is how are we going to 
look, you, you know, our athletes are our customers. You can't yell at someone and say, hey, get out of that corral, move over here. Because what you're going to hear is, I paid my money, I'm going to line up wherever I want. And I don't, nobody wants to get into that, right? Volunteers don't want to get into that. Staff doesn't want to get into that. We want people to be there and have fun and enjoy their time. So if people just sort of, you know, adhere to what you signed up for, if you signed up, you know, and gave a time or a predicted time, please be honest about that time and just line up in your appointed corral. And the other thing is, remember, the cl- no matter who you are, no matter where you start, the clock does not start until your chip goes across that mat. So it, it's probably going to hinder you more than it's going to help you to get up in the front when you really don't belong there. Oh, yeah. You're going to be getting getting run over from behind. You're going to be getting run over or you're going to start. You're going to go out too fast. If, if it's yes, just like you're if you're a runner. Yeah. Like if you are not a walker or you don't do the run walk, like you are going to just crash and burn. And yep. it's just like, cause and, it's, it's and so not hard that, not, not to. That, not that any of us have ever done that. I kid you not. I, I think I went out too fast for the, probably the first 10 years of running. And that was through college. Only when I got into triathlon, I think, and I went to do a 10 K and I, I, for the first time said, I, I, I'm too tired. I can't run hard. I'm going to try and just run X, Y, or Z pace. And I had the fastest 10 K I've ever had because I went out at a sustainable pace. Mm-hmm. And it's such a hard concept because you know how it is, right? Everyone oh, wants yeah. to put time in the bank or whatever. It's just like, uh, save, it, it's, you know, I would suggest people try it, you know, save yourself from yourself. Yes. Start maybe further, further back rather yes. than further so forward. You, and you might be shocked at how much better your day goes. That exactly happened to me. There was a race that I was like, ah, oh, it's not, I'm, it was Surf City, the full marathon a couple years back. Oh, yeah. Great and race. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. race. Yeah. yeah. And I had run it before, like, you know, it's just, it's in the area, right? It's a race I'm familiar with. I saw a friend towards the start and he was doing like these back-to-back races so he was like i am slow like he was like conversational pace i am not trying to go out for a record whatever he needed to go slow he knew because he had a ton of stuff we hadn't seen each other so we caught up first like three miles probably the slowest like three i've ever went because i wanted to catch up <laughs> it was my best yeah. marathon until that day i think it like pr'd that day yeah. and i was like Oh, wait, maybe there's something to like, it was if not for that, I would probably still like my friend says, you try to break a world record in the mile. Like you're not like, what are you trying to yep. do? And it was just like, oh, yeah, I had to be forced to do it. Otherwise, I would still be out there like, just it's, going it's, out way it's too It's one of the hardest things to do. But I always, you know, when I was coaching, I used to tell people, what is your best time for whatever this distance is that you're going to go run? you know, half marathon, 10K, marathon, whatever it is. What is your PR? What's your best time? And they tell me, I go, okay, so let's break that down. What's that pace per mile? And then I would say, do not start any faster. In fact, try and start about five to 10 seconds per mile slower than that pace. And I said, then in the second half, run at that pace. And then in the last, whatever it is, 5K, try and pick it up a little. Mm-hmm. And they would find it impossible that to think that they w- could run that slow for the first whatever many miles. And I'm like, yeah, but that's where you end up. So you have no business running faster than that. Yeah. If that's that's your best time ever, you know, and it, it once they do it and it sinks in, but it's interesting. If you look at every world record, American record, look at all the records and look at how they run. Generally speaking, I believe they're even split and sometimes a very occasionally negative split. 
Yeah. So consistent. And I feel like it's just, yeah. it's embarrassing to look at my splits. It's hard. It's just I like, know it's hard though, right? It takes discipline to, uh, to feel like you have more in you and not, not use it. Yeah. So start in your right corral. <laughs> That's what we're starting your right corral. Start, start Please, come on, people. Come on. Seriously. Well, I think too, it says 15. Don't yeah. start in number six. I feel like everyone needs to remember too that if if you want to start with a friend, you need to go yes. back. Like you need yes. to start in the and lower that's what we corral. Tell people. Classic. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a classic example. You know, we have I think 33 corrals in San Diego. So your buddy is in corral three. Your number says corral nine. Which which can you start in? Yeah. Can you both start in three? No. No. You if you want to run together, you both have to go back to nine. No yeah. problem. So lower numbers can move back. Higher numbers cannot move up. (laughs) People don't want to hear it, though. But I want to run with my friend. Tell your friend to wait for you at the mile one mark and you guys can collect there or at the first water station, whatever. Yeah, there are workarounds. Make a plan. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And the last question, are there any plans to expand to more cities? Yes, there's always plans to expand to more cities. Are they tough secrets? <laughs> the part two of this question is if so, which ones? You can't answer. <laughs> if I told you I'd have to kill you. Oh gosh. Yeah, no. No, I I would love I would love to talk about all that. And there's always those plans. We talk about new events every two weeks. And rock and roll is is a huge topic for us right now. Mm-hmm. Does it seem to be more US? Because I feel like you guys are really expanding internationally. So is there a focus? It's it's not. It, I wouldn't say it's a focus one way or the other. Yeah, we are expanding internationally. We have folks who want to license events in different parts of the world. You know, there's there's been a few new ones. I think in Bogota, Colombia was a recent one. And and this is one thing I would definitely say to everybody, and especially having, I, I think almost I did some racing in Japan and and a tiny bit in Europe and New Zealand, Australia, but. If you have the opportunity to go and run or do a triathlon or anything that you have normally done in the U.S., strongly encourage you to go do it somewhere else because it is so much fun. And it is I, – I, I, everyone's like, well, what's, what's the big deal? What's different? Well, it's culture. It's you know scenery. It's language. It's all the things that are obvious, but there's something else to it, right? I mean, it just – it feels different, and it just – there's a different element of fun to it. So go and do that. But yeah, right now we're, um, we're, we look, at, we look at everything. I mean, we've got a few new events in China. We've got a couple new events in Europe. We're obviously in South America. So we're all over the place and we are always looking at the U.S. And I think you'll see a few new events in the U.S. as well. Awesome. If I'm going to squeeze in one more question. Do you have a sure. favorite out of all the events? The Ironman and the marathon. Oh, man, that's everyone always asks me that, and I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, my my favorite original triathlon was Wildflower, just because that was sort of the, you know, you camped and you you did the race. It was sort of old school triathlon. Nowadays, I really really love St. George. I mean, look, I love all the events, and anybody who hears me say that is going to be, what about Oceanside? I love Oceanside. You know, on the triathlon side, there's there's too many to mention. And I just got introduced to another 45 events, 60 events in Europe in the last three years. So you can imagine there's some fantastic events over there. Mm-hmm. Just so beautiful and, and so, so unique. So I would say, you know, St. George, Oceanside, a close second, but, you know, Super Frog. You ever heard of Super Frog? 
No. It's an event down in Coronado that was founded by a Navy SEAL named Moki Martin, who um, it, it's as old as Ironman Hawaii. They just had, we just had our 40th anniversary for that race last year. But the key is we swim in the ocean, no matter the size of the surf. Last year, by the way, it was eight foot surf. And the majority, and not the, yeah, the majority, about eight miles of the 13.1 mile run is in soft sand, all on Navy SEAL training. So if you think you're tough and you're like, oh, Coronado, it's all flat. Come on down to do the Super Frog 70.3. You will not be disappointed. And you're going to, it's our, um, we have a huge contingent of military folks from Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines who are competing for Kona slots. It's really cool. It's just one of those, one of those um, routes of triathlon events. That's the uh, middle of September. But on the, on the rock and roll marathon side, I've, I've only been to, I think, let's see, Chicago. I, I've heard everybody that I talk to within this in the competitor, the old competitor group world talks about Nashville and they talk about Vegas and they talk about San Diego. San Diego is the original race, right? This is the one that Tim Murphy came up with back in the day. So San Diego is a must do. This is my town. I love, you know, I love it here. So I, I have a hard time not saying that that's the best one, but I've been to Vegas the last three years and Vegas blows your mind. You, you run on the strip. And there's nobody else. They they close that strip one other time. We're the only private group that closes it. It's amazing. It, it's mind boggling. And we're going to be announcing our headliner concert act tomorrow. Oh, so, exciting! Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, it, it, it is really exciting. I, I just saw the 30 second video announcement of it, and it's it, it'll it raised the hair on my neck. I got goosebumps. It's cool. Uh huh. So I would say those three, Vegas, San Diego, and Nashville, and that's not taking away anything from Arizona, Virginia Beach, Savannah, any of the other amazing rock and roll races there are. Yeah. Think about it. What's your favorite race? I mean, think of all the races you've done. They're all I mean, I vote yeah, for sure. Yeah, New Orleans. I feel like and it's like flat and it's like super fun to go there. Great food. It's super fun. But I mean, like just Vegas is like and I feel like it's an easy it's easy to talk anyone into going with you, you know, like if you want to make it a thing, <laughs> like no matter point. where you are in the, really in the point. U.S., like yep. someone's going to come with you. Hey, you want to go to Vegas? How <laughs> yeah. hard is that? You know, exactly. Sure. Yeah. I love it. Well, how can we find out who the Vegas headliner is and get more information on the other races? So our, our website is run rock and roll. So that's R U N R O C K N. R-O-L-L, runrockandroll.com. And all of the information is there. And obviously, we're on Facebook. So if you go to Facebook and simply search any of the events, whether it's Rock and Roll San Diego, Rock and Roll Las Vegas, et cetera, they all have event pages as well. And then I I do want to mention, and this is especially for the Southern California folks, if you have a pen or if you have a crayon or a marker or you've got your cell phone on Notepad right now, I'm going to give you a few codes that will um, get you a discount because we all know that online registration is over. Mm-hmm. And we also know that expo pricing is quite expensive, right? Because you've waited till the last minute. So <laughs> if you really want to get in now, you're going to pay for it. So the expo pricing, I'll mention that first, and then I'll mention the discount codes and how much you're going you're gonna to save. So the full is now at $189. And if you're sitting there on Wednesday before a Sunday marathon thinking, I'd like to go do a marathon. Um, I'm not sure that you're you're probably not sober. 
but <laughs> I'll give you the discount code anyway. The half is currently 175 if you go and sign up at the expo. The relay is 199 and then the 5K is $85. And that's a lot for a 5K. We all know that. So I'm going to give you some discount codes and it's, I'll give you the codes first and then I'll tell you the discount. Um, but it's, so for the full, it's simple. It's SD local full. So letters S and D for San Diego and then local and full all together, all uppercase. But since the SD local full online registration is closed, you can use this at right. the expo. You can use this at the expo. So show up at the expo, say, and then we have a place where you can go and get entered. And you use these codes. And so SD local full, SD local half, SD local relay, and SD local 5K. Very simple, right? Everybody mm -hmm. can remember that, I hope. And just remember you're an SD local, even if you're coming from Irvine or San Clemente or LA or anywhere further north. SD local full half relay or 5K. And the full will get you $47 off. The half, you're going to save $53. The relay, you're only going to save $7. And then the 5K, you'll save $15. Awesome. So especially for the full and the half and the 5K, that's that's a good chunk of money off of that price. Oh, for sure. So, okay, awesome. Does it have to be all caps or anything? Yeah, I have it all caps here. But okay. because you're right standing right there with the people who you're doing the entry with, they'll mm -hmm. know about it too. So don't worry about that. Perfect. That is awesome. Well, right. hopefully, yes. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for your time yeah, and thank course. you for those no discount codes. People really appreciate that. It definitely helps. It yeah. may, always makes me more and, likely to sign up for a race. Yeah, no, for sure. And and thank you and thank everybody for, for listening and thanks for um, supporting us and having us on. I appreciate what you do because I know, you know, it's, it's work, right? I mean, I know you, you clearly love it, but it, we appreciate you know, you doing what you do. Yeah, I'm very, very, very lucky. I feel like it's the same like you. And hopefully we'll see a lot of people out there this weekend. And I feel like I need to tell Definitely. you good luck. Have have fun this weekend too. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. We can always use a little luck. So thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. I hope you enjoyed that. I'll put links in the show notes to the Rock and Roll Marathon website and the discount code at runeatrepeat.com. Now let's get to the awards. First place goes to, in the spirit of this episode, races that give discount codes and also sites that offer free shipping love. I'm a sucker if there is free shipping or if there's some sort of discount code on something, I am 98% more likely to sign up or purchase 100%, right? That was 98% than 100%. You know what I mean? Second place goes to Panera. I am oddly obsessed with Panera right now, and I have been going there a lot. So God bless them. And third place. I found these. <laughs> it's, I don't know if this award is to the product or the store. I don't know. All of it. All of the above. I found these big heavy bones in the Marshall's 
clearance area for pets. And it was in an unmarked plastic bag. Maybe someone just left it there on accident. And then some Marshall's employee came by, put a sticker on it, and I paid for them. But I would gladly pay for them again. Basically, there were these two bones and they're like plastic wrapped. They're very heavy and they are filled with something that I don't know what because they're not in really marked packaging. So I don't know what company makes them. I don't know what exactly there is in them because the bag was, once again, there were two very heavy bones that look like they have holes in the middle, like there's something in there. And the sticker said peanut butter on the outside of the bag, but there's nothing peanut butter seeming about the inside of these bones. So Diego seemed fine eating them. I don't think it's triggering any of his very extensive food allergies. I'm kind of being sarcastic, but kind of not. The point is that I need to find more of these because when I gave him the first one, he spent longer with this bull. Like, I want to call it a chew toy, but it's not. He has never spent so long on one object. I want to say two hours just out on the patio, biting it, licking it, playing with it, talking to it. And I was like, oh, take all my money. Like whoever makes these, it just, it was the best and it made him very happy. So I am trying to Google big, heavy bone with something inside of it. I'm trying to be creative with Amazon and my Google searching because I need a lot of these. I need one every two weeks delivered to my house for infinity and beyond. But those are the awards for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please tag at run, eat, repeat on Instagram and let me know what you're doing right now. Like Sarah, who was listening to me on Spotify, but said that her daughter told her to download Stitcher so that she can leave a review. And if you have a question, definitely ask. You can send it over to me. Email run, eat, repeat at gmail.com. You can also call the voicemail line 562-888-1644, or you can message me on Instagram at run, eat, repeat. Have a good run. Thank you for listening. For show notes, recipes, discounts, and more, go to www.runeatrepeat.com. You can also connect with Monica on Instagram by following at run, eat, repeat. And on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash run, eat, repeat. Be sure to subscribe to the show and please rate and review in your podcast app.